This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Well, welcome back uh, to the Broadcast Podcast. I have with me again... Uh, Matt Simmons from Amsterdam, Steve Vaughan from Dublin, and Phil Whittle from Stockholm. Uh, and um, we spoke previously. Um, these guys have all planted in the last 10 years. I think um, Matt is the most recent in having planted seven, eight years ago. Um, but really, they've all planted within the last decade. And we first time we spoke, we looked at the journey uh, of how that happens all um, basically coming from the UK uh, with uh, UK backgrounds, although Steve has some uh, Irish blood as well. So there was a link there. But the the journey from being in the UK to going and planting uh, in international cities and the, the kind of the, the key cities in the nations that they've gone to um, and some of the things that happened in that from uh, family to starting to uh, things that they learned on the way. And we wanted to just carry on the conversation. There was a lot that uh, we didn't quite unpick last time um, uh, just to work out a little to hear about where the churches are up to at the moment. Um, kind of the and in that it's uh, we are post covid or in the UK, it feels like we're really very nearly at the end of covid um, and that experience may be different in other countries. Um, so how we define where our church is at the moment is um, is a bit of a moving target. But talking about uh, where we're at as a church the kind of leadership that we've been able to put in, uh, structures we've been able to put in, but kind of vision and values a bit as well. And then really with an eye on what is the, what do you think about the next 10 years um, and what the future holds for you? Um, Personally, I always think for for people who uh, leave their home country to start a church in a new nation, there is, it seems to me, always the slight nagging question of, um, do we stay here forever? Uh, and that may not be a question you want to answer today in public on the podcast, but it won't stop me asking you. Um, so that's worth uh, us thinking about today. Also, what you're praying for as a church. So looking a bit at the future. And last time as well, we we hinted at the fact that planting churches is not the easiest kettle of fish uh, and that sometimes, only occasionally, there are darker moments where we perhaps question ourselves, question our calling, even brings into relation into question our, the very nature of our own relationship with uh, with God and how we process our own faith and the faith of our family, perhaps, as you're on frontline uh, church planting uh, and mission. So there is a lot that we can pack into our podcast today. Um, so it's good to see you guys. Uh, I think I'll start with you, um, Steve. Um, really, just the question is, what does your church look like now? Describe it to us now and um, leadership, size, structure, vision, values. That give, it, give us a brief synopsis of your church. Yeah, great. Great to be here. I concur with your sort of opening gambit that at the moment there's still a re-emerging. So what does church look like is emerging uh, after COVID. But we're about 100 people. Uh, We have a leadership team in place. We haven't been able to establish an eldership team yet. So we have a leadership team that uh, kind of is a stand-in eldership and has a yearly 
a yearly sort of sign up and, and, and it's ongoing, but it's um, the aim is to, to establish eldership, but we haven't got there. And that's been one of the challenges we've had, raising up uh, leaders, uh, lots and lots of young leaders, but finding those that could be long term elders has been a challenge. We have trustees in place. We have a staff team. I Because I'm bivocational, I've actually only last year, 2021, after um, nine years, uh, went on staff one day a week. Um, so I'm now four days a week for the company I work for, and one day a week uh, with with the church. So we have full, two full-time employees, one an assistant pastor and one an uh, administrator and ops manager. Uh, and then we have another part-time one who's in more in the pastoral care discipleship side of things. So that's been wonderful to be able to employ other people. Um, and train them and then we have also an internship so that's I think we've had 14 people go through our internship we have a student internship that cannot can happen uh, so then the student gives 10 hours of their week or we have a part-time which is then they, someone can who can give 20 hours of their week um, so we've just uh, said goodbye well she's still with us but we've just finished our latest Audrey she's just a, a, a student at Trinity College a wonderful young girl uh, we have Sunday gatherings. Uh, we've been doing Zoom when we've handled all our COVID stuff on Zoom. We still currently do a high. Um, we still offer live streaming, but it's it's inc- we're going to phase that out. We have our city groups, as we call them, our midweek community groups. We have six of those and six seven of those, um, and most of the core, so the seventy or eighty. Well, in fact, they all really are plugged in there. Um, and then uh, we have life groups, which is where we have our discipleship groups where it's intentional same-sex discipleship and there's various models of that and I to summarize our vision we're very influenced by the city to city stuff the Keller stuff and so we would sort of see our aim as uh to reach the the city as a whole every part of it every aspect of it and you know often that's phrased by saying we want to win the city evangelistically with our words. We want to serve the city practically with our deeds. So that idea of, of reaching the city. Um, and God willing, we would like to become a church planting church. So that's another big part of our vision. And um, yeah, so that's a bit about us, where we are and what we're about. And uh, yeah. Very good. It's interesting uh, when people can clearly say their influences so even that say very influenced by the the mm. keller mm. um city to city stuff that that um yeah suggests a direction of travel and a philosophy of ministry and, mm. uh, which is really interesting so we'll, perhaps we'll come back to that um matt same question to you what what does liberty church look like now yep so just coming out of the pandemic um we are we're not fully gathering Yet on Sundays, as in we're allowed uh, about 60 or 70 people in the room with us. Uh, So at the moment we're running two services with about 70 people each. Um, Hopefully in the next couple of weeks that'll be lifted and we can kind of open the doors properly again. So we're not entirely sure how many people are in our church at the moment. Because as I think as we were talking about on the last episode, we live in such a transient city that after two years of a pandemic... I would say at least 50% of our church have left and um, I don't know what percent have arrived. We're still just trying to get to know people. Uh, but I think we probably would gather around 200, 250 people perhaps by the moment, including kids and pets and garden ornaments. Um, so uh, we are just about to appoint four elders in about a month's time, which is, I'm sure, uh, 
as Steve said, it's a it's a it's a mission to get there. It's a it's a battle. It takes lots of time. We started the process in the beginning of 2018, uh, and have had various points on the way where we thought we were pretty close, and then have stopped and started for all sorts of different reasons. So it's kind of nice to be able to see the finishing line there. And as part of that process, we'll as well over the next couple of months, we're just in the process of launching a, a sort of a more formal membership structure. Um, so so just a document for people to read, a form for them to sign up, just to give us a bit of more of a feel of who's really with us, uh, opportunity just to communicate our values. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess to sort of crystallise our vision for the church, the way we normally would describe it was as in the clue is in is in the name we're we're called liberty church um, because we want to bring the liberty of jesus to our city to amsterdam because part of the sort of one of the things that this city is obviously famous for and why lots of people come here why lots of people go to any city really is to follow their their dreams uh people come here particularly because they want to pursue a sense of of liberty you know a sense of personal freedom uh, that's that's at the kind of very heartbeat of what what this city is about, um, and often people find lots of disappointment and frustration uh, along that journey. So I think we that's our, our message. That's what we 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 want to see happen in this city is for people to find their true liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ, and uh, you know, that was uh, expressed practically in serving and loving the city, and obviously through our gatherings and through the mission of the church, the community, day by day. Um, yeah, there's loads more to say, but I'll probably just ramble on for ages, but that's a bit of a snapshot of us. Thank you. That's good. Very good. Um, Phil, in Stockholm, what, what about you? Um, so, yeah, the Swedish government recently just basically declared the pandemic over <laughs> for Sweden. Um, well which was, which the was, Swedes which... were always right, so we can yeah. take that for every country. Yeah, let's take that. I love it. Yeah, yeah. so they declared it pretty much, pretty much over. Um, time to... Get on with it. It's been pretty. Maybe Sweden have been famously fairly sort of relaxed about the whole thing anyway. But there have been various times of restrictions. So even just the last few months, we've been limited to fifty. Um, but as of this Sunday, um, we're not. Um, so we we kind of got multi-lingual um, um, congregations. So we have an English um, speaking service, um, which gathers probably. Um, there's about 60 or so each week, although the number is drawing from a slightly larger pool, probably uh, 90 to 100 or something like that. And then we have a Swahili speaking congregation, um, which will gather another sort of 100 or so, but this time for a, you know, an even lar- a larger group of maybe 200. Um, and then we're about to launch a Swedish speaking um, service. Uh, which we're doing monthly at the moment up until the summer and then kind of see where we're at um, with the aim of having that being a, a weekly um, part of church life after the summer. Um, and that's probably about 20 or so at the moment, but drawn from what we already have. Um, so, uh, yeah, and the, we're similar, you know, very similar things We're we're we've we've done the sort of a process of kind of clarifying who's with us through a sort of like a membership type process. Um, and now we're in the next stage of um, kind of towards elders and deacon teams. Um, so we've had functioning leadership teams, but it's just become 
when it was when it was a bit more smaller it, it could operate informally and as it's got larger and more complicated the need for clarity and for kind of um uh, and and for people ownership to be much clear more clearly kind of defined and owned by a group of people rather than one or two individuals um has become to sort of ev- abundantly evident that we need that and so we um i would hope that in the next couple of months um we will make some strides towards both having a sort of a clear eldership and deacons um and within some of the congregations leadership so within the sort the african congregation congolese congregation they would have a defined group of leaders um some of whom would be part of a, a, a wider team contributing to the life of the church as a whole um so yeah so that's kind of that's kind of where we're at i just pick up on something there to jump in uh tim mm. it's just because the three of us have mentioned it uh, i can't remember who said it whether it was matt or phil but knowing who is with you through introducing some form of membership because uh, i didn't actually mention that but we did that in the last uh 20 18 months as well mm. and and finding the right way culturally and phil and i actually met in stockholm and then had various emails and i sent him my paper and things like this and he sent me his thoughts and how to do that well but i think that's mm. actually been a key moment of transition in the growth when you do move from that quite informal quite um often chaotic but fun uh your particular in my context, you know, I'm the stronger, the pioneering leader that's come along and, and then slowly over time making it, you know, um, the ownership of leadership spread and the who's with us more clear without trying to lose some of the the, um, the missional edge that you can have as a church man because it's like signing up is kind of a low bar, <laughs> which is a great, great thing. You know, that's part of the value of it. So uh, just because yeah. those guys mentioned similar things, that actually is a really... It's a, it, I found it harder than I thought to figure that transition out and not to rush it, but not to delay it and not to fudge it, but not to go too strong. And um, yeah, so just to either now or something, just to mention that is a, mm. been a, an interesting dynamic for us anyway. It is very interesting. You, you all mentioned kind of membership. So working out who your people were and what it means to be part of your church. So, so yeah, you're right. The beginning days, you'll have literally anyone and you will count them twice um, and that changes. But also you all talked about um, a senior leadership team, which is a bit more kind of um, concrete, a bit more long lasting than and a church plant. You can restart your leadership team almost as often as you want because it's just such a, a moving target. And so they're big signs of <clears throat> you've gone out of the planting phase into kind of grown up um church phase so your church is no longer a toddler perhaps as a teenager but is um becoming like more locked down and so that made me think okay it's a, a question of um your church becoming a bit more solid and this is a bit of a curveball question i've just thought of and i've given you no prep on so i'm curious to your answer as to your answers um but you haven't planted your churches or maybe you have but entirely in in well we in isolation okay so do you exist as an independent church do you get help from outsides? Do you contribute to something larger than yourself uh, on a global scale or on a national scale that helps your church to fit into the larger body of what it is to be um, the universal church, if that makes sense? Um, it's just quite a big question, but I think you know what I mean. So, it's, uh, And I'll ask it first to you, Phil, uh, how your church fits into the into the wider world. Yeah, so... Um... So yeah, we're we're part of um, relational mission, which is part of New Frontiers. And in terms of getting help, actually, 
this weekend we're about to have, there's a couple um, Morris and Rachel Nightingale who are kind of involved in in helping church plants develop um, across Europe and they're going to come and be with us for a couple of months um, so uh, and the aim of the purpose of the kind of big purpose of that is to help in the process of developing the the eldership and the deacon teams and to kind of um, help, make, help, make, help make us do that process well um, with others with council kind of um, uh, and and hopefully that will be you know it just it just gives a lot hopefully it will give a lot of confidence in the process for everyone going through it and for the church as well they'll see that it's a good process to have lots of tr- trust and high confidence in the process um, and as a result there will be in a healthy and a healthier place at the end of it um, so yeah we're receiving help and I think one of the reasons like we just touched on for the need for it I think if you want Steve talked about wanting to be a church planting church and we we would as well um, and I think one of the keys is to be able to do that you really do need to be developing leaders and have solid kind of uh, teams of leaders that you that you've got agreed kind of values on and that you're able to then kind of work at, at raising others up in order to either support th- something else somewhere else or send people somewhere else um, and so I think it's very hard to do that I think do that well and set people up well for success in some in some other new venture if you haven't really got that very clear where they're coming from um i don't think it serves them very well i don't think it helps them and i don't think we you'd, you know the you'd end up kind of um yeah i just i think it would be quite messy and quite not necessarily i think the chance you're, you're reducing your chance your odds of success i think from a very sort of human point of view um so yeah so so we feel like it's essential for us to take that next step to to push towards being a church that will then plant and, and start other churches in other places mm. is by having leaders and growing that leadership and training and so on mm. it must be helpful as well i would imagine most of your church don't know what it means to be part of new frontiers beyond no. you phil <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah very 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 few people um have had any experience of um new frontiers so when we talk so i think one of the challenges of being an international church um, is you're constantly talking about values uh, and that's not a bad thing but in the sense that you're trying to build a common base from which to keep growing and when you're trying to do that you're navigating through other people's church backgrounds and experiences and values and theology and so it's quite a slow process because people are coming from as wide as you know as diverse almost as the the church you know um we have African Pentecostals, we have Korean Presbyterians, we have, you know, uh, Anglicans, we have Catholics, we have Orthodox, we have, you know, um, and they're all finding themselves in this place. And so we have people who are non-charismatic churches, um, people who come from, you know, you know, all the different sort of spreads within evangelicalism and outside. And so trying to m- bring that some sense of cohesiveness to that as a church community and then bring leadership through from that which which has some unity and cohesiveness to it that's a very slow that's a very slow process and so i think it's one of the reasons why it's taken us like 10 10 years Um, and you're constantly starting because you've got a through flow of people as well so you sometimes you're starting and then you're having to start again because someone's moved on um Mm. yeah 
Yeah, very interesting. I think what the the context that we put ourselves in for the people that join us is, uh, I mean, we we went through phases where we would uh, underplay <laughs> the the context that we came from, um, just because it wasn't necessarily the most helpful at that point. Uh, and then we would introduce people as opposed to the branding of the movement we were part of. So instead of saying we're a big New Frontiers church or whatever, we would have people come and visit who are senior in New Frontiers who would then, it would become more relational than um, than by reputation. Um, so it is, a, especially in the planting phase, it is a, you do, is a line to be walked um with wisdom, uh, shall I was we gonna, say. Uh, Matt, I'll, I'll put the same gonna, question gonna, to you. I was going to say, just before oh, Matt Phil. speaks, I would just say from a context point of view, no, New Frontiers has got no cash here in Sweden at all. No one really knows who it is. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't yes. carry any weight or, or anything. So in one sense, it's it's completely starting from the ground up. You, you can't really use, there's nothing to draw mm. on that makes any sense to people, really. Um, and that's probably, I think that's probably the case maybe for, for Matt as well, like who are, who are these guys? So you're you're starting with a you know your your history, but that history doesn't mean anything where you where you are now. So I think that's worth just thinking through as well. Thanks. Yeah. Yes, absolutely true. Yeah, go on, Matt. Yep, that feels it feels exactly right that mm. uh, we've got. I think other than me and Joe, I think two other couples who've got some New Frontiers background. And that, that would be it in the church. And I think of everybody else, the vast majority, even perhaps even all of them, would not have heard of New Frontiers um, at all. You know, we, uh, Terry Virgo came over a couple of years ago to speak and just no one knew who he was. It was just, uh, it was new for everyone. Um, and uh, I think as you were explaining, Tim, we've, we've tried to uh, introduce people relationally as much as we can, uh, and to 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 emphasise that. Now that can be tricky too because it it can just sound like um, I think in a sense in a city like this is people often want to know what we're part of because in a sense it gives you a little bit of um, sort of says that you're legit, yeah. particularly when you arrive as I did as as a kind of a young leader. I was in my early thirties uh, with no I'd never led a church before. I think people want to know that you've got something behind you, you've got some support. So it is helpful to emphasise what, what you're part of, uh, even just from a sort of oversight kind of governance point of view. So we're, same as Phil, we're part of the wider New Frontiers family. I think I guess we all are. Um, we particularly relate with a sort of a, a group within that that doesn't really have any name, the sphere with no name, but we're involved in planting churches in similar cities to this, so in uh, Krakow in Poland, in Berlin in Germany, uh, three churches in the UK in Brighton, London and Bath, uh, in Belfast in Northern Ireland and then in Ottawa in Canada. So it's kind of quite spread around, but very similar cities in terms of each in their own nations, um, quite influential, uh, shaping upstream cities full of sort of young people. And so in many cases they're... they're they're more similar to each other than they are from the small towns and villages that are sort of 30 minutes down the road. Um, so in two weeks' time, I'm going and spending a, a few days away with the, the leaders of those different churches. So they've really become like brothers and sisters for, for Joe and I. Um, so particularly through the, the, the pandemic, actually, we've been meeting 
uh, on Zoom once or twice a month. Just we've got like a kind of evening community group where we all meet once a month and just pray and share our lives together. Uh, I think it's small enough that we can all know each other in that way, um, which has been a huge support to us, really. I mean, I think if, in a sense, that's probably one of the things that's helped the church plant through to a place of health has been having support outside of here, really. Mm. I just, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I guess I meet lots of church partners who really are on their own or, or they're, they've been sort of sent, but in a very, the relationship is very dis- distant mm-hmm. or the relationship perhaps often is just with them. There's no real connection relationally with anybody else in the church or they'll have financial support. But so to have a, people that know us and love us and are looking out for us and it's just been so crucial for us really it's been a a massive help very good very good uh what about you steve yeah we've taken a slightly different road so we're not part of any sphere though i like the sound of this covert sphere that no one knows about maybe we're (laughs) maybe maybe we're part of that i mean i don't know if it's out out of the ground like are we part of (laughs) anyway no we uh we're not part of a sphere so what we've done instead is we set up an advisory team locally and there was a number of reasons for that. I mean, one was practical. It, we've literally planted as Terry was giving his final sort of, you know, I'm handing over and everything was moving into spheres. And there was a lot of sort of reshuffling at that point and uh, things getting organized. So we didn't quite fit anywhere. But the, the second thing was, we, <laughs> there's, there's a skepticism in Ireland about the English, you know? <laughs> so to sort of say, hey, we're part of this big English thing, like that's not going to be the most, you know, it's not going to be terrible. But, you know, the, there was also that contextualization thing of saying what's an appropriate way. To, you could use language branding. Do we want to? It, it's not that we want to hide anything, but it just wouldn't have made sense. Um, the other thing is there was no one else on the island of Ireland at the time. I'm interested to hear about Belfast. So who would we have networked with? And are we going to be constantly flying back to the UK and things like that? That didn't sort of make sense, particularly as I was, I was full time. Um, but I think one of the key things for us was that idea of contextualization. We needed we need eyes and advice in country. Uh, it's not that we don't need support and love outside the country, but that's what we most needed. Um, and so we're, that's what we did. We made some good friends, both with other church leaders and other people that we just found along the journey. And so then we set up an advisory team uh, quite over five years ago or five years ago or something. And that's been magnificent. And that's been super. So that's we meet with them. They're available to us. They come and speak at our church. They do our weekends away. Um, they meet people pastorally. They do our leaders retreat. I mean, not all the time, but as in they're available for those kind of things. And because they are Irish and in the country and have got some war wounds of Irish ministry, which is very different from UK ministry in terms of, of we are talking about last time, size and momentum and things. That's been super. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've done. But we've kept the relationships, you know, with the various churches and people that we, we had uh, in the UK. And one of the things I used to do every year for the, certainly the first five years, I think, if not more, was to go to the Think Conference. Partly as a refresher for myself, it was just like, great, once a year, just zoom back in and get some great teaching. But I always used to take one or two pals from Ireland. And that was a moment of exposure uh, for them as well. So that was just a, a really positive um conference that just was a great way to connect back in or st- stay connected yeah very good very good uh, so that leads me to uh, my next question because i feel like i have your churches 
history and where you're up to now and how you connect to the wider worlds. Uh, and I guess now to think a little bit about the f- the future and we'll, we'll get in the, as we talk about the future, we'll, we'll talk about the darkness as well. Um, that is the difficulty, not the very bad rock band from the mid noughties. Um, to think about uh, what the next decade looks like. Uh, and there is, there is, I think, a very personal element to it um, because it's you know, because you guys have run very hard um, in order to go from absolutely nothing to something. Um, Bob Roberts, who uh, plants churches in America and um, is very, um, yeah, just really very good speaker. But he'd said that church planters grow grass on rocks. Uh, and I just think that's what you guys have done. You've grown grass, you've planted in areas that it's just hard to make things happen in, in um, a whole other language, in a different culture, and all of the things that have gone with that. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's fantastic, like genuinely fantastic. Um, so now you kind of think, okay, you've been there uh, up to 10 years. What next? What next for you? What next for your church? And you've all talked in kind of relatively broad terms of it would be nice to plant another church or maybe start another meeting um but yeah i'll push you for a little bit more detail um which again we are english in roots so we tend to underplay um out of a sense of false humility um so i'm I'm asking you to bypass that um and just to kind of speak honestly um so steve in terms of your next 10 years for you for your family for your church uh what what are your feelings Great, yeah. Just uh, one comment. The Irish say that if you want to understand how the Irish fit into the spectrum of like, you know, how you come across, and I wonder if Sweden might be similar. It's uh, if an American says something, it gives an opinion, you halve it. If an English person gives an opinion, you take it at face value. If an Irish person gives an opinion, you double it. So <laughs> just as a, a little bit of insight into the pessimism or the, the humility, false humility. Um, yeah, so I think a few things come to my mind. On a personal note, I want to slow down. And so I was really hoping to go part-time with my company as a phasing out. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to enable that. So I was hoping for that from February, so right now. So I'm still in that slightly disappointed, deflated, Lord, I thought this was all going to just be the next step. Mm. Um, And I had got the budget approved in the church. And, you know, um, so I'm still actually right in the moment of going, well, how does this work then? Do I stick it out for a bit longer or do I look for other moves outside of HubSpot, the company I work with? Uh, I've told them I'd love to stay within and they've told me they'd love to keep me, but we just can't find the part-time way at the moment. Um, so that's one big question that's quite live and unknown. And so, uh, um, yeah, that, that's that. But either way, as I think about the next decade, it needs a different pace. I mean, it has mm. been relentless um, mm. and it's been fun. And I had a 30 zeal, but I'm about in uh, eight days time to turn 40. Mm. And I still have lots of zeal and capacity, but I'm not in my 30s. So I just want the, the 40 to 50 year uh, decade to look and feel a bit different in terms of its pace um, and maybe not juggling as many balls and, and things like that or, or as quickly as I, uh, or, or needing to keep them all going as quickly as I have. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing then is we are, I think I shared this last time we've, we, you know, we've done well at reaching 18s to 35s new to the city, either from the country in Ireland or from outside of Ireland. And the next 10 years are really how Lord, how do we reach 
both cities, as I call it, the transient residents and the long-term residents. And that long-term residents thing is a much, I'm guessing, slower burn. And, and unless you have credibility within certain friendship groups and families, it's going to be very hard, you know, particularly in a tight Irish culture. So um, that's what we're looking at next. And in light of that, we are literally this Sunday about to tell our church of a proposal that we want them to consider and pray to start a morning congregation because we currently meet in the afternoon in uh, the south south of Dublin, um, in, in in right where Leanne and I live, to uh, to in an effort to to do that, to to take that first step towards. It would be multi-site, but I could see them becoming separate churches over time, and then God willing. I was just explaining this before we started the podcast. The way Dublin works is you have the River Liffey in the middle and, you know, the north side and the south side, the banter and everything is, you know, quite, yeah, you're a north side or south side. And it kind of does just mean you need a north side presence and a south side presence mm. and a city centre presence. That's just the dynamic of the city. Mm. So God willing, in another five years, or if we can do it quicker, we would go to the north side. So we have two morning congregations, which would be more the local slow burn families, 30, 40 kids, youth groups. And then the evening would remain that hustle, bustle, young, zealous, all kinds of anyone uh, where hopefully we could gather, train and envision for the city and then probably palm out to one of the two two sides. Um, so that's the current thinking. Uh, we always said, could we learn some lessons in Ireland that we could take to other post-Catholic European countries? So whether that's within the next 10 years, I doubt it, but that's also on the horizon. If we could learn some lessons and given the amount of people from other nations in Ireland, could we train, gather, recruit, and then go to other countries? But I would have thought that's in the 20 year plan. In my naivety, when I arrived, I said that'd be in the, in the, in, in the 10 to 20 year plan, but I think it's going to be the 20 to 30. I mean, you know, we, we had, we, we had a 30 year plan last time. So maybe the, we were not for me. That was for Matt. But anyway, that's, that's what we're about. Um, I think the other thing to say, and I don't say this like, cause it's the right thing to say, but like, it's so important that Leanne and I and the family are in a good place. And so whatever decisions we make next, you know, that's a priority that and on my kids, God willing, in 10 years, if this is the route they choose, will be in university, which is a strange thought, you know. Mm. And so all that transition through their teenage years, their friendship groups um, and how Leanne and I foster our marriage well. And we think about new rhythms for us because, you know, the, the kids aren't treading on our toes. They're treading on our hearts to, to use that change of analogy from the toddler to the teenager. Um, you know, how do we manage that? Well, I think is also just a very personal real issue for, for Leanne and I to pray through and think through in the next decade. Um, so there'd be, there'd be some of the things that are on my agenda. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, just going back to the, the job thing, um, just as you were talking, in fact, all, as all of you guys have been talking about the worlds you fit into and, your church planting journey are often the big church moments are worked out in our in our houses and in our work life <laughs> and it, it it slightly always troubles me where when you're talking to pastors who've taken on a church and have never planted a church and it's straight into a full-time job um in that 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 there is no concept of the uh, how your personal life your work life, your family life is so intertwined with the church and all, it become, especially because it, the church is all started in your front rooms um, with your, you know, your kids heavily involved. Um, and it's really hard to begin to unpick that so that actually your church can can grow, can go to the next 
um, the next level. So, th- you know, even when you were saying, I, I don't want to run as hard in the next 10 years. Um, and But then you're hoping that would be other people are alongside you. So collectively, the pace that you're running doesn't change. In fact, could increase your capacity as a church unit um, and a leadership team and with mission opportunity it increases because you've been able to work out some of those very difficult things and begin to kind of uh, separate off. Separate might be the wrong word, but kind of compartmentalize maybe a bit the the church, the family, the work. It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating thing that only church planters can understand and if you are listening to this podcast and you you haven't planted a church and you are just leading in a church then uh hold back on your advice that's what i say to you <laughs> so um yeah yeah it's a little timmy rant there um to to um to matt actually the the same question to you what what the future holds for you yeah so i said on the last episode we have a 15 years strategic plan so yeah just just stick to the plan tim just you know <laughs> Half you need through. to you need Half to have published through. that plan needs published in, and I need it. I need to see dated that you haven't edited it on your go way through. Go, go on, Matt. Actually, no, seriously. Like how? Like so, you you made a fifteen year plan. You're halfway through. How is what elements of reality match the plan, and 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 or how when you look at it now, you go, yeah, actually, we're we're kind of on track. This one's maybe a little bit behind, or like. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote this because it bears no, you know, no relation to my daily life at all. What's it like? I mean, go on, tell us. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to trying to find it. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we called it the the first fifteen years, and I split it into three sections. So the the first with the first two years were just about settling and launching. So there were three objectives settle family life learn the city build a team uh and getting ready to launch so the idea would be we would uh get to a place where at the end of two years we could launch something which which we did um and there were smaller other goals in it that we didn't quite get to but you know we did all right and then we had another stage two to five years which i called sustainability and growth so that was just about um, launching our Sunday service sort of properly, uh, appointing elders, um, getting an alpha course running, uh, beginning to establish some social action, social justice initiatives in the city, getting the church praying regularly. Um, and I, so I really itemized that in terms of we want X number of elders, X number of staff, X number of midweek groups, we wanted to be financially and logistically self-sufficient. I'm just reading some of it now. And we did almost none of that <laughs> at the end of five years. <laughs> and uh, we're, now, we're now coming to some of that um, at the end of eight years. So we're, <laughs> we're behind schedule on that one. And then the third phase we called City Impact and Multiplication. So that was about multiplying services and sites and then planting planting churches elsewhere which we've started which was a very very long way away um yeah steve was saying that's that's beginning to feel like that's in the next 15 year plan um but yeah we 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 definitely 
in a sense, I think as I said in the last one, the the fifteen year plan really was just to just to get out of my head. Is that's that's how I, I tend to think. You know, if you do the the strengths finders, the Gallup stuff, and all my top five strengths. I don't know if you guys have done that. Mm-hmm. They all sit in that sort of strategic thinking column. I think eight of my top ten are all that. So I just thought I just need to write it down just to get it out of my head and then give us as a team something to pray about. But then, I mean, I think that's probably the first time I've opened that document in about two years. Like it's not been a guiding thing for us. It was just initially it just helped us. Okay, this is just helped us to navigate a little bit, just set the course of where we were, where we were going to go. Um, I can't, what was your original question, Tim? Because the guys asked me about this, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> it was what what the next ten years looks like. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, I imagine your fifteen year plan helped you pray a lot, didn't it? I mean, it would have given. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was. I think we deliberately tried to write something that was, I guess, in a sense, ambitious um, and beyond what we thought was was achievable and then try you know try to particularly in the first two years try to break it down into things that we could see mm. and, and get our heads around and oh we can do that bit we can make this happen but the kind of the overall heart of it was well god's gonna have to have to do this you know as you said it is growing grass on rocks it really is i'm sure we all have the same thing you arrive in a place like this and it's people people kind of say well, what are you doing here you know it, it's both not just unbelievers, but, but the Christians are like, what on earth? Why would you start a church? You know, just people just don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, and if they do, they don't, they don't go well. That's the, the story you get. So, so anything really, any, any plan or strategy is, <laughs> you're going to need, you're going to need God to make it happen. Um, but I think, I think now we are, Joe and I are on the journey of figuring out personally what that all means really because I think when you go church planting you are feeling a calling and some sense of yeah I think we could I think it's calling us to plant a church um and you have to go and you don't know until you've you've done it you know you're struggling with this sort of imposter syndrome all the time and then but then once you've done that at least this is where I went I was beginning to think well okay how do we build and establish and grow a church and has God called us to do that and what does that I don't want to just assume that because we've taken it this far that we should then be the people that that, that take it on um, and, and in a sense I'm not sure I really know the answer to that at the moment but you know we're just following the the call of God so far like I, God's not said anything else so we're still excited about we still feel like we're we're only at the end of the first chapter, really, of what God wanted to do here. Um, so there's there's no rush. The family, everyone's happy. Kids are, are settled and have learned language. They've been through all the tough battles. Um, you know, we've got two, almost three teenagers now. So it, it's our life feels very, very set here. But I think we still want to kind of interrogate those questions, really, and figure out, well, what does that... Are we pioneers? Um, should we just be doing that? Um, and if we are, can we do that locally? What does that look like? Um, so I've got more questions than answers at the moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah, that often the way, by the way? Just to, I mean, you know, I think 
you've tried to bring this out of us a few times, Tim, you know, what was your plan? What actually happened? That kind of dynamic. And actually learning to have more questions than answers is a strange place for someone like me to be, but it's been an important place for me to be. And when I failed as a leader, I think I've pushed for answers too quickly. And probably when I've been quite good as a leader, I've lived with some of the unknowns, um, which is not my strength, you know? So I just think it's a helpful comment when you start going down the church planting route together. There's going to be lots of questions. You might not get answers for a long time. Um, and if you can't live with that reality, you know, it's going to be a challenging place for you to be, I think. Yeah, yeah that, that's really helpful. I've, we found here the, the story of, um, of Acts 17 when Paul goes to Thessalonica just so helpful because he's there for sort of three weeks, you know, three Sabbaths he speaks in the synagogue. Then he gets, you know, a riot, gets kicked out and Jason gets put in jail. Paul gets kicked out of the city and then he writes, they reckon maybe somewhere in the period of two years later, he writes one Thessalonians to them. And the way he talks about the church sounds, you know, he says the, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from there everywhere. So obviously something's happened really dramatic that has spread out from that city. But what he left was like, we wouldn't even call it a church plant. You know, it's just, he was there for three weeks and then, he started a riot and then left. You know, it's just <laughs> there's not really there's not really much there. We might say, oh, there's a a group, there's a few believers there, perhaps. But he calls it, you know, the letter of Thess- Thessalonians is to the church in Thessalonica, and the way he speaks about it is though God's done something just super dramatic. And it's yeah, I, I think when you come with plans and strategies and ideas, it's really. I guess someone described it to me when we arrived. It's a bit like the 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 first or is it the second episode of Band of Brothers? I don't know if you've seen that. Where you know they've been gearing up for D Day and then they they jump out of the plane and they've got their landing ground that they're supposed to go to. They're going to congregate and they've got their mission to accomplish. What happens is they jump out the plane and they're scattered all over you know various parts of Normandy and that that's what it sort of feels like when. You know, you arrive, I'd written my 15-year strategic plan, we were ready to go. And then what you feel like is, okay, that person's over here, this thing's happened, where did that come from? What are we going to do now? And it's just, okay, how do we yeah, how do we and, make this work? And that that is brilliant, right? Because that person leaves, this personal issue happens in my life. I hadn't even thought about this massive complicating thing in our culture or something or other. This expectation wasn't set at all. I had this false set, you know. So if you in a sense, it comes back to what we know the Bible says about leaders. It's character above all else, because that's going to see you through, not any plans. And almost not, there is some leadership gifting you will need. I don't want to underplay that, but it's it's the character to be able to adapt, be humble, change. Um, and the second thing I'd say, just to jump in, you see, actually, I remember getting a little bit, not frustrated, but like, it just doesn't, people would ask me questions. What's your strategy around small groups? What's your strategy? And I'd be like... I don't have one and I don't think I need one. And I'll tell you why, because contextualization, you don't go in with your strategy, you go in listening to the culture. And again, you know, I said at the start of the podcast, I'm very influenced by Keller. So he would say, how do you adapt the gospel and your community so that it makes the draws, you know, the, 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 the tightest bridge without compromising the gospel as you can. So if you come in and it comes back to the, you know, we're not parachuting in as new frontiers franchises, 
Um, if you come in going, this is what I'm about and this is how I do church and these are all my non-negotiables, you have some, certainly theologically you have some. But actually, I think there's a lot of freedom in form and, and style and all the rest. Um, and so that question of how do you learn to contextualize the gospel and the gospel community uh, and react and have the character to handle that. For me, that's just been a whole, I never would have said that going into this. But in hindsight, I go, huh, that's been a really key thing. Uh, I've not always done it well, not always, mm. you know, often because I haven't done it well. But I think that that's what I'd say there. I think one of the observations about sort of who New Frontiers is, is that we're a values driven movement and so it's not about a method um it's not about um it's not even it's not even particularly about sort of a theology there's some there are some there are some values about how church church should be they're obviously theologically backed but um uh, i think that mean that means that it, it should be and must be look different in slightly different in different places um because the how a value gets worked out in one context so for us, is really live all the time in our Congolese community. How do we, if we try and impose a method, say around small groups, it's not going to work. There's big difference assumptions in family life, in community life, in worship, that their expectations. And so we're looking for values to be consistent rather than the, out, the way those values look, if that makes sense. So we're continually wrestling with that question when we're dealing with it looks very different over here and we're trying to get to grips with it and we're going, okay, so what's the value that we want rather than what's the method or the practice necessarily that we want? Yeah. Right. Um, and, that's and that's what helps us. That's so helpful, Phil, because I think, you know, we all commented several times in these couple of episodes about the transient nature of our cities I think one thing I've been observing more recently is it sort of feels like the, be careful what I say, but almost like the theological centre of our church has, has shifted in terms of not of what we teach uh, or as a leadership we hold, but in terms of the theology that the people who are with us bring with them and their experience and practice of church life because we we used to gather people from X different sort of nations and the, the pandemic seems to have shifted that. And now we've got people from other nations coming so that it feels like that's just sort of shifted. I don't know which way we've shifted or where to. <laughs> yeah. So then knowing what your values are that you're then building on, that the non-negotiables is really important, I think, to because otherwise you can just be jumping around with different ideas and different strategies because... Oh, this group, they want to do a Bible study. Well, we better, better make that work out. Or these people, they want to do a prayer and worship gathering. So we've got to do this. And you can find yourself bumping around all the time. Because in a, in a city, cities like we're in, it's, you've just got this flux of people coming in all the time. But if you're sort of responsive to that, it can be very, very, very challenging. Obviously, you want to hear people's needs and backgrounds and be... You know, that's a refreshing benefit that you get to learn from all sorts of different yeah. people, but just being clear on why you're building and, and what the, 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 the kind of the core foundations behind it. Yeah, yeah. very good. Very good. Um, Phil, let's let's ask you the same question as well. What the future holds personally and for your church? Yeah. Um, so I think when we when we moved here just over 10 years ago, um, the like, have, so I had. 
planted and led a church in the UK and that had, that had, that had been about a 10 year thing. And so I had some idea of what I, not what was necessarily possible, but what, what I, I had experienced over 10 years and what I thought probably where I was, what was within me. Um, and um, so, and also when we looked at sort of Sweden and what we, what we felt like God was sort of saying to us was to really, to be a contribute towards there being a, a family of churches so more than just one when we arrived there was one new frontiers church in the um, five six hours south of stockholm um and a few years sort of afterwards a couple of other sort of church plants have sort of dotted up um in different parts of the new frontiers family in sweden but there's still now there's there's like four and sweden is a big country um geographically um so so we just felt like the scale of the challenge of ha- having an idea of how long it takes to build a community that would outlast its planting leader, I felt, like, oh, that's that's a ten-year job, <laughs> um, and then to see to see that multiplied so that there would be a a group of churches cooperating together, so that there would be some sort of on generational sustainability in terms of mission and these values being repeated into different generations in different places in Sweden, we thought that was probably a 20 year job. So that was, that was without quite having the sort of seasons that Matt sort of outlined in his sort of 15 year plan, we had a feeling that, that to establish one church would probably take us about 10 years given that we were doing it cross-culturally language lots of other things we, we thought that's probably you know let's not be too too ambitious we reckon it's about that I think that's probably we were pro- we were probably pretty close I think so basically whereas me and Matt were way off and far too ambitious and hopeless in our expectations <laughs> you were the kind of measured conservative one that got it right and had done this before that was the difference <laughs> yeah I- Maybe, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we, I think our expectation within that, you have moments and you think, oh, we'll get further than this in one year or five years. And we weren't, but actually over 10, 10 years, we're pretty close to where we thought we would be in, in some, in, in many respects. Um, but then I think the job is now, so I think the job for us remains, unless the Lord calls us elsewhere to go elsewhere is to see this become more than just a isolated place in 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 Sweden to see it multiply and to be gr- a group of churches cooperating in mission to and that and therefore that kind of that pushes us that that vision that sort of destination decides certain things um and it decides about language for example um there's no there's no way um, we're going to be successful in in multiplying throughout Sweden through the English language much beyond a few cities. Um, there's a few places where that could work, but then again, it's very and it's very very limited. It's very very you know you set the boundaries of what those churches can do quite you know considerably. Um, so it has to be Swedish, and so therefore the focus on raising Swedish leaders, finding Swedish leaders, talking about church planting, helping people church plant um, and start churches and and maybe find other groups that are wanting to work alongside us because of the values we have that as well as kind of. And then I think that's so that's probably the big thing. Um, secondly, 
because of the surprise addition of our Congolese community. I mean, the future of Christianity is is African. I mean, the, the you know the half the world half the world's kids in sort of sixty years time will be African. You know, it's there. So I think we just haven't. We've God has given us a great opportunity to work out some of those things in Europe with Africans through what's happened to us and i think that's really exciting um and and is something that is part of the way you know a, tr- a an incoming wave demographic wave and trend which is going to reshape much of the world that we live in i think that would be my my big my big long-term life rest of my life kind of guess um and so we've got this sort of opportunity to train leaders and and raise people and see something happen that comes out of this collaboration which god has given us with a a group of congolese refugees so yeah very good it's very Very interesting just just it's a fascinating phrase the future of christianity is african (laughs) um the last yesterday i was i i was asked to do these two events evangelistic events by the christian union at ucd it's the biggest university in ireland i did the lunchtime and then i did an open q a in the after in the evening and it was run by these sort of Nigerian Irish girls, you know? And they were 18, 19, and they were really passionate and very like confident in their faith and Pentecostal by background. But it made me go, wow, like the Christian union here is being run by a Nigerian African girl. I mean, not I'm slightly, but it was just your statement rings totally true from last night's experience. And uh, anyway, just a fascinating thought. Mm. Is very good. Well, as I've been listening to you guys and um, we are, we are drawing up to an hour of talking, so we'll, we'll uh, bring it into land in a bit. But as I was listening to you, I was reminded of the famous uh, Mike Tyson quote that everybody has a strategy until they're punched in the mouth. And um, you guys have <laughs> all, all kind of uh, alluded to that. Uh, Did you make that up? Did you make no, that up? <laughs> no, I can't remember where I've read it. It's a brilliant quote, though. Because if that sums up the, the glorious naivety of church plant. Actually, Steve, your comment about Phil, the, the only one out of you three who's planted two and so when he got to the second one was like mm, yeah i've been punched a few times <laughs> I've, i'm feeling i've know how this is going to play out <laughs> yeah um, yeah and so that just from my yeah. last question for you uh, and is to ask how church planting affected your own personal faith in god's and uh, I, I know um, Phil and Matt a little better than I do you, Steve, but the, uh, having uh, seen the journeys up close, seen you carry your disappointments and your victories and you carry other people's disappointments and victories and you go in with a certain idea of what you're capable of and discover that you are capable of other things, perhaps more uh, and and less in equal measure across various things. So that there are there are some dark nights of the soul when it comes to church planting, uh, which sounds very dramatic, but there are just times I know for myself where you just think I'm absolute rubbish at this. This is if this thing exists in a couple of months time, it will be an act of God's. Uh, and then other times you think, well, every week someone new turns up. This place is brilliant. I'm a couple of steps from a revival and you can kind of swing between those things. Um, so for you, and I'll put it to you first, Steve, in terms of your own walk with God, your own faith in God's, uh, what was that like for you, this church planting journey? I mean, on the whole, I have found it completely exhilarating. 
and on and I am an optimist and I sort of enjoy life and I wake up most days going I can't wait to get on with the day like I'm just for those who can't stand me and say that I'm sorry because I know that's not a lot of people's experience but like I am <laughs> one of those guys um, and I like being busy so on the whole and I've said this all the way through um, Paul says I've worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was in me and so people say how did you do it I said just I just enjoyed it I got on with it it wasn't um, you know so so I do want to say that because. Uh, uh, that has been my general experience and I've loved the city and I've loved the journey and I've loved the smallness that's slowly growing bigger and it's not, mm. you know. Um, but uh, a few things. Uh, I definitely realized I wasn't as godly as I thought I was, um, particularly around, I guess, sort of, you, you know, fruit of the spirit around patience, kindness, gentleness. Uh, this isn't a fruit of the spirit that's listed, but tenderness. And I think God has really and is in still working on my heart to make me more of a tender, softer, gentler person. And I'm very slow to learn that. Um, yeah. And the second thing, I'm not as wise or as clever as I thought. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, you're just even the stuff we talked about, you know, here's how it's going to work. or And you realize, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm in this bit. I remember walking through Dublin one day and we had a church of about six people and two of them were my kids, you know. And I'm going... How, like, Lord, I just feel completely out of my depth here. How's it going to work? What's going to happen? How would you even think about making connect? You know, you just suddenly realize that overwhelming task and that sense of your 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 smallness in it. Um, so I think they, those have been good things for me to, I guess, grow in godliness through through some of the, the, the pastoral bruises that I've received or given that have shown that I'm not as tender as I need to be. Mm. And through realizing how out of my depth I am often in leadership and in decision making. And, and so, so that's, been, that's been a positive, though not always an easy journey and not one I've always wanted to receive. Mm. And I remember one time uh, an older gentleman that I was on the advisory team and I said, you know, we were, he was very good to meet for coffees and he would input. I mean, he sort of, uh, you know, he just challenged me and said, Steve, you can be quite intimidating at some times to people. Do you know that? And he then gave me a couple of examples. And he was like, hmm, okay, I need to consider this. So there was some definitely some some sort of character heart lessons there to consider. I think another thing, which was a huge, huge wrestle the whole way through, and I think Phil and I have chatted a bit about this, was Leanne and I would have different views on men and women in, in leadership and in, in, in marriage and complementarian, egalitarian. So that's been just... And actually, we found a place of real freedom the last few years on it. But that's just been a constant rumbling within the marriage uh, that we've been open about, that we've, you know, had good and bad days and seasons on. Um, but obviously, as you said, um, Phil, you're early on, particularly your home and your marriage and your family is your church. You know, the, where does the line draw? So that that had some challenging moments, really challenging moments. And you thought, whoa, where's this all going to end up? And, you know, it was never an issue of our marriage being, you know, splitting or anything. But like, how's this all going to work out in church, in marriage? Or are we going to uh, navigate that? And, and praise God, he's, he's really helped us, really helped us. Um, and then the final thing I'd say is, I just remember a few moments just feeling incredibly isolated in very challenging pastoral situations mm. and thinking, oh my word, this is brutal. Like this person's attacking me here. That person's attacking that person over there. There's this over here. Uh, I've probably made a botch of it there that I'm slow to realize. And, you know, and just going, uh, and just finding the intensity of that whilst carrying on with my job and carrying on with the Sundays. So there was a few times when it was like, super intense because of pastoral challenges that were quite intense yeah so there would be some of the more challenges things and how god through those challenges i think has has you know 
softened me. I hope he has anyway, and continues to. Very good. Very good. Never trust an optimist. That's what I say. <laughs> um, Phil, to you, same question. Um, so I think, I think it's easy as a church planter to, to, to kind of think of the church as a, as a thing and thing in, in and of itself as like a, as a project, as a mm. entity and, and kind of forget that it's, it's just made up of people. Mm. Um, and, and so I think often the people, particularly, I think for me, when people that you've <clears throat> invested in, um, given time to they've been in your home they've you've you've done your best to be friends and then for some reason they they leave I think whenever people leave and you're you know I think there's there's always a bit of you know kind of heart sinking um as a church you know you're, you're trying to build you've given you know you just you, you're giving the blood sweat and tears to this thing and then, oh my goodness they you know they're not stuck with us and you you just keep remembering the the constant reminder that my hope is not in this person, but that actually still to love these people mm. and to therefore not let the disappointment of that person affect the next one that comes in through the door. Um, and for that, I just constantly need to be kind of reminded by, you know, by God of, of his love, really, of, of love and forgiveness. My hope is in him. My, the hope in this church is, is in him. It's not in this next person who's going to do this, who's got this skill or whatever. And at the same time, God loves me. He refreshes me and restores me to help me get over the, the disappointment that I might feel and love the next person and, and, and to keep doing my best to love whoever is in front of us um, and work with whoever is in front of us. And it isn't the church is not a project and like a vehicle that I can drive at a certain pace to a certain place is a group of people to shepherd and to care for and to all that sort of thing. Um, and so I think just, you know, I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I ever get past that in the sense mm. that, um, oh yeah, I've, I've internalized all those lessons and therefore it's automatic. I think I continually am learning and being reminded of that and just kind of, um, and that being something. Uh, and then I think, you know, just the, the thing that, probably is 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 a weakness of mine is is just to kind of in one sense is to to try and grind grind you know persevere i think perseverance i talked about last time is really important but sometimes you can get sort of oh, i'm just going to grind this i'm going to grind this out head down and i'm just going to plow on and at the same some you know if i'm not enjoying god and god is like whoa here's my love i want to lavish my joy on you i mean you know isn't it great that we are his children how much love is lavish you know it's kind of like i need to if I'm not enjoying the presence of Jesus in my life, it's pretty, pretty, no one else is going to, you know, it's going to be pretty hard. It's going to be pretty hard in the church for anyone else to kind of delight in the Lord when they watch me as a grumpy get, get up the front and kind of, you know, cause I'm grinding, I'm in the, I'm in grind mode, you know, because mm. it feels intense and I'm, I've taken too much onto my shoulders. Like, I believed for a moment that this ch this church plant success and its future depends upon me, and whenever I've done that, I've 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 you know I've kind of it's been serious, and I think God has continually just to remind me, you know, uh, I said I'd build my church, so just chill out a little bit, enjoy the moment, enjoy the enjoy the clouds, go go be flaky, it's fine, I've got this, mm. um, and come back when you're you know when you've chilled out a little bit. You know, I kind of 
have those have those moments where I need to just remind myself of who God is. And I don't think I have, I don't, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and, and I haven't learned the lesson in the sense of it's become automatic. I need to continually find myself in a place where I refresh myself in, in Jesus and, and not neglect the spiritual discipline, the day of just enjoying God. And I think I would say Terry Virgo, not, I've had, he's been visited, I know him a bit, but I've never really had that. But just through his writings, when I listen to him, I just, you know, he's 80 something. He's just enjoying God. <laughs> he just enjoy, you know, it's just his warmth of, isn't God good? You know, and I'm reading one of his books and it's just refreshing me. It's like, oh yeah, God is really good. And I should really just enjoy that. And that's really wonderful. And that, and, and before I do anything else in my day, I should remember that. And then I get on with the stuff. So I think those things still are kind of where I cycle around. Very good. Can I Very commend good. you, Phil, Go just with, uh, uh, that you don't see church as a project, but a family, mm. and therefore it always takes it out of you. Mm. Right, exactly. We may get wiser, and we may learn to handle it better, and we may get less personally distraught around it because we're grounded in God. But like, may we never grow out of that. It mm. always hurts because the church is a, a family, family, not a yeah. project. Yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. Uh, Matt, what about you? I think one thing that I don't think I you mentioned, I don't know if it'd be true for you, but when, when we landed here, I felt like I had to go on a bit of a journey of almost, I don't want to make it sound overdramatic, but in a sense, relearning my own personal walk with God. Because mm. I'd, been, I'd been on staff at a fairly big church where when you're in a big church with a, a busy calendar you in a sense you get sucked into a your walk with God gets as it should do in church life gets intermingled with all sorts of other things so you know I'd pray with with the eldership team on a Thursday morning there was a group of people I'd pray with on a on a Tuesday morning the other friends of believers I'd pray with even my own Bible reading was a something we did collectively as a church you've got regular preaching, lots of other different impact inputs that, that are feeding you. And then you suddenly land somewhere and to begin with, there isn't a church service to, to go to because you haven't started one yet. <laughs> and there's not all of that. You have to sort of reinvent and find your own way in it. In a, and, you you know, whilst you're also processing so much other change in your life and helping to guide your family through all of that as well, plus a church planting team. I found that both challenging and refreshing because I'd never really considered it before. Just sort of, you know, obviously you, you consider your own walk with God, but I think it all grown quite organically. So having a, a season where I could think, oh, what do I actually want this to look like now in a new setting and kind of rebuild it was, um, I guess I just hadn't been aware of it. And I think I often see when people, not just pastors, but people who are on teams, go to new contexts to, to be involved in church planting. I think it's quite a common thing people have to walk through of, oh, hold on a second. I've now got to figure this out for myself. I don't have a, uh, a sort of a set model that I kind of input into. Um, so that's something I had, to, I had to walk through. I think particularly in the first five years, if, if I could, if I had one word I could summarize the church planting experience, I probably would have just said loneliness. I think that's a, mm. I think you've both kind of mentioned it in different forms, but the, 
all the different challenges that are unique to leading a church, pastoring, planting, and doing all of that in a new context where there's not lots of relational links either with other people in the city or and other churches that are part of our that we're connected with. You know, there's some here but not loads. Um, and and navigating through situations like pastoral, which is just new. You're just learning as you're going and you're making lots of mistakes. Uh, and you've got people coming and leaving in a transient city. Loneliness is really real. And I, I really affected me, I think, um, trying to figure out how do I make friends with people in the church? What does that, what does friendship in the church look like? You know, what, what should it look like? Am I, um, am I encouraging a church to be, to build committed relationships, but am I, am I holding back from them or are people holding back from me? You know, you've got those sort of questions buzzing around your head. Um, and that's definitely begun, definitely, definitely changed. But in the first couple of years, that was something that I think weighed quite heavily on me trying to process that. Um, and I think, it, and that that's true for the whole family, I think as well, for all of us that we've had. I think all of my kids have seen friends arrive and leave like numerous times now. They're, they're all through in the church, numerous groups of friends that have been here and have left. And the same would be true for Joe. And this is probably one of the hardest things you have to do is go and tell your wife and kids, oh, so-and-so families, they're leaving. Yeah. You know, and that's, I had to do it yesterday. And that's like, I didn't, I chose my timing really poorly. <laughs> upset my wife. But it's, I, I, I thought I would have learned by now. But that's like a regular conversation that has to take place. Mm-hmm. And as you guys said, it, the church is a family. So it never gets easier. It's never a, you know, we never go, oh, okay, I'm used to it now. It's like, oh, oh another one. Here we go again. You know, someone you've invested in. And, and a lot of the time they're leaving for good reasons. It's not, you know, there are more painful ones, but a lot of the time it's, it, 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 you, you can see God's hand in it, but it doesn't, doesn't make it any less painful for yeah. you and your wife and kids to process. Mm. Mm, very good. I, I mean, you know, as all of you have talked, you've all kind of said, uh, for, You've grown in soft heartedness and have battled not to become cynical. Um, and actually, when when cynicism starts biting in and you're expecting the letdown and you become hard hearted to it and it bounces off you, then that's a that's a, a very difficult place to live as a, a pastor. I think as a, someone who believes in God and has faith to kind of live in a place of being cynical and hard hearted is uh, you know, faith is dying at that moment. So you've all talked about how actually god has grown you in that in different ways i mean steve talking about the fruit of the spirit all of you the way you've talked about it so um it's absolutely fascinating so i think as we are we're we've galloped past the hour mark we're well into the second hour of this conversation we will draw it to a close uh thank you very much for your time um just fascinating to hear uh, the kind of 10-year journeys of all of you from leaving the uk to plant into global cities uh, and the impact that that has had on you individually, on the churches, on your families, um, what you guys have done brilliantly well at, what you've done less well at. Um, absolutely fascinating. So I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for appearing on the broadcast podcast. But we will finish there. So um, it's this is audio. We, we, this is radio. So you're going to have to shout goodbye or something like that. Thanks. Go on. Bye. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Tim. <laughs>